Welcome to episode 29 of the Golf Betting System podcast. We are discussing the 2018 Memorial Tournament on the PGA Tour and the Italian Open on the European Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour previewer at Golf Betting System. And with me, we have European Tour expert Paul Williams. Hi, Paul. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Bank holiday here in the UK, but as ever, you and I are working our... Uh... Grafting away. You got it. As ever, we also have podcast regular Barry O'Hanrahan from a Good Talk Sport podcast. How are you, Barry? Hi to you. Evening, guys. Hero boat. I take yeah, it good. there's no... Am I, have I got this right? There's no bank holiday over there in the Republic? We had ours last week. Or was it? Yeah, and we've won. Uh, sorry, we've won next week. We've had a lot of bank holidays actually. Know. It's great, really good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't get one next week, but as it makes no difference to Paul and I. Anyway. Um, a little bit of housekeeping before we move ahead. GolfBettingSystem.co.uk. You can search golf betting or golf betting tips. You'll find us. Twitter handles. I'm at Bamford Golf. Paul is at Golf Betting. Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. We're available on Podbean, iTunes, TuneIn for Android, Player FM, and Podtail. Naturally, subscribe or follow the podcast. Tell your friends about the show. Rate and review us on iTunes. We've now got seven customers, so we're up a couple from last week. And we have a five-star rating, guys. Five out of five. So that's uh, that's very good feedback. Yeah, very good. Uh, leave us a good review and... If you do that, we will read it out next week. Okay, should we have a couple of minutes before we crack on with the Memorial and the Italian Open? What did we learn from Wentworth last week? What did we learn? Well, I guess halfway through the tournament, you know, everyone was banking on Rory McIlroy walking away with it. Um, it absolutely fell into his lap, didn't it, the first couple of days? You know, we talked about the weather forecast this time last week and said about, you know, the potential for some rain, the potential for some storms. It was a bit iffy, 50-50 at the time, but they, they arrived before play on Thursday and Friday. Um, and those conditions, those soft conditions, are absolutely spot on for him. And it looked, for all the world, like he was going to walk away with it. But, um, Do you know what he, he was didn't trying have to get at, it. at his lowest point? I haven't seen the low. No, I mean it was well on, well odds on, as you'd expect. Well odds on, um, and uh, mm. you know you expect him to convert those kind of positions, but it just didn't happen, did it? it? Just didn't happen. And yeah, fair play to Molinari. He plays his steady game, doesn't he? And um, you know it's. Oh, I wouldn't say boring because that's not really fair, but it's um, you know it's kind of metronomic. Um, you know fairways, greens. Um, you know, makes the odd putt and man, fair play. He, he did. He, he held off uh, McElroy on Sunday and deserved to win. I think huge step for him on the European on the um, European Ryder Cup team. He's up to third now in in the European yeah. qualifying points. Yeah, it's a big big event to win. I mean, given that you get you know, there's there's the extra incentive to win these Rolex events from that perspective anyway. Um, and uh, you know the field last week wasn't great. The field this week isn't great for a Rolex event. You know, looking at it in reality, and uh, these these players have got a great chance to to stick some serious points on the board over these uh, over these events and, and make a make a decent claim for it. You'd have to you'd have to think that that's Molinari on the team, whether it be by automatic qualification or by a pick. 
Yeah, potentially. As, you, as Steve said, he's up to third on that uh, that that list now. So, um, you know, there's a lot of players got to go some to uh, to dislodge him from that position. So, yeah, I think in sixteen was it sixteen? Chris Wood had won. He won the yeah. bit. He won at Wentworth. Who was on the team, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. I can't remember twenty fourteen. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's a big event to win. Isn't it? That's un, that's, there's no doubt about that. And yeah. don't forget, of course, two two Ryder Cup appearances, two wins. You know, that, that goes for him as well. Although he's you know he's never contributed a huge amount of points himself. But well, you know, with a team two years ago that potentially had too many rookies on it, if you're going to go the other way and uh, have a team of experience, I would assume that his record at um, Le Golf National was quite good as well on the basis that again that that suits that kind of style of play, doesn't it? It does, yeah, yeah. You know, if if you if you're straight and tidy, then that's the that's the game for for um, Paris National. So yes, he's going to be close, isn't he? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of water to go under the bridge between the then and now. Um, but uh, he's in a great position now. I look at I I could look at Molinari. You, you couldn't not look at him given his um, course form prior to last week but um, you know he'd, he'd not registered the top 10 anywhere for it was something like six or eight months it was the Italian Open last year um, and you know that's a big mm. step in form to jump from you know just kind of plodding along to, to going and winning and you know in the end winning in some style I think you know Okay, it's a bit, little, little bit hairy on the on the final hole, but uh, you know everyone's entitled to uh, a semi wobble, I guess. But um, no, that'd be the kind of event where you would get someone in that play, and you know they get to the lead, and then you you know they drop back, you know finish second or fourth or whatever, and you go, oh well, if he hasn't been in contention for such a long period mm. of time, that was always going to happen. Yep. But but yep. with Frankie, it, it just never happened, did it? He was he was on cruise control. No, even going into the final day, you know. Given that given that Rory and uh, and Molinari were um, were tied going into the final day, you know, you you'd expect Rory to to kind of just ease himself ahead and uh, convert from that position, but um, it was the complete opposite. Complete opposite. I think it was very similar over in the states as well at the Fort Worth Invitational at Colonial. You know, you had Justin Rose who was playing just the most immaculate golf from tee to green, mm. and we know that this year he's been a lot better with the putter. Yep. And no one really got close to him at all, did they? No, I mean, um, Kupka um, impressed me. You know, clearly he's been uh, struggling with injury over the last few months and coming back from that. And you wouldn't really put um, Colonial down as a, as a Kupka course, but um, he looked really good yesterday, really good from what I saw. So one to certainly keep an eye on, I think. I think he plays on everything, months. doesn't he, Kupka? He's a, he's a quality player, clearly, but um, but yeah, I, you, I don't think you'd kind of match him up to Colonial and uh, you know put him down as a as one of your shortlist players. But uh, no. it was Look interesting, good. you know. We've we've spoken recently about Shinnecock Hills and the U.S. Open, and there's this definitive trend that um, players that are very, very, very strong strokes gained off the tee in the build-up tend to get the job done at the US Open. Yeah. It was interesting just looking at the stats for uh, Colonial last week. Uh, Justin Rose was fourth in strokes gained off the tee. Brooks Kopka was first for strokes gained off the tee. And John Rahm was second for strokes gained off the tee. 
So that would be something to keep an eye on over the, uh, the course of the memorial this week and also the, um, the subdued next week as well. Yeah, they're certainly not names that are out of kilter with a US Open leaderboard, are they? So They're not. And you look at Coker, he's got a decent history over in the UK, hasn't he? I mean, was, was he top five last year at the, at the British Open, uh, Open Championship, sorry? Yeah. Um, don't know about Ram so much at the US Open. That'd be something you'd, we'd need to get our heads around about whether he'd have the ability to grind it out although from what I've seen of the course and it's something I want to look at a lot closer this week because they had a media day there last week it'll be interesting to see how it plays because it does look and you know some some of the numbers I've seen about Shunikov very very wide off the tee mm. and if there is no wind uh, in two weeks time you can see again that course being very very gettable I kind of like the way, I don't know whether this is pre-planned by the USGA or whether they've just fallen into it a little bit, but, you know, they've they've moved away from that previously traditional US Open of, like, gigantic rough, you know, fairways that are as wide as a strip of sellotape and, and so forth. They've gone to these more, you know, slightly, just a more modern way of thinking about golf, which is, you know, actually the old way of thinking about golf that give, you know, opening up fairways to give angles to players. And, but it's all kind of leading towards the, the way we see the open championship play out and that the conditions dictate the scoring and nobody ever yeah. complains if somebody wins an open championship at 18 under or 20 under, or, you know, the, the, the one that Stenson won when himself and Mickelson were just knocking lumps out of each other and the golf course, mm. nobody complained about the scoring then. And, um, it seems the USGA, and just the recent tournaments um, are dictated by the conditions and you know that's just the way it is and as much as we all have this idea in our heads that we want level par or just a couple under to win it's I think it's just about embracing what's there on the week and if the score if it's 16 under that wins the US Open or if it's level par that wins it it's still going to be a tough battle and um, and whoever wins it will have deserved to win it mm. it definitely seems that way doesn't it I don't. I don't think it's quite going to be Erin Hills because that was a new golf course and they didn't really know how it was going to play. But we know with Shinnecott, there's a plenty. There's plenty of history of us for us to delve into. Um, what kind of winning scores have been there? Been around there before, Steve? Can you remember? Well, when Goose had won, I think he he won at something like four under par, and there were only three yeah. that broke par. But that again, that's, that's U- US Open standard, isn't it? You know, that's, that is, that's and that, that also fell expect. into the trap of they didn't walk the course, and it was absolutely brown. Whether they would uh, allow that to happen these days, as as Barry's is saying, I'm not so sure. Mm. Um, but um, there's a definite link with winners of, uh, of at Shinnecock and guys that have already got a very good Open Championship kind of um, form book, or mm. you know they've done well on the PGA Tour at, at places like Pebble Beach. So you can see that these you know guys that have done well there in the past do have a, a good coastal heritage. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. But from a total driving perspective on a golf course, that is going to play long Shinnecock Hills. Don't forget, they're going to play it at par 71. So they're turning a par 5 into a very long par 4. Um, kind of thing Oakmont. Because Oakmont didn't look long on the card, did it? It was only 7, I think it was 7-3, uh, par 70. But both of the par 5s were over 600 yards. 
and scoring. Yeah. You know, Scoring's quite, just tough, quite, isn't quite it? Quite tough, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, if it plays like that, and there is a bit of there is a bit of wind around, um, you know, it could be a it could be a very a, a very stringent test. We just don't know at the moment. But um, mm. I think long driving. Um, I know Dave Tindall always does a piece about the uh, the U.S. Open that says um, it isn't necessarily long and straight. It's as long as you can get it because driving accuracy is <laughs> long up. and long. It's, yeah, it's just quite. It's it's well overrated at U.S. Opens these days. Driving accuracy. It's just about pure power off the tee. Yeah, as Barry said, that you know the traditionally it was you know if you go in the rough, then it's almost an auto bogey, isn't it? You're you know you're losing half a shot every time you're missing a fairway. Almost it's. Um, it's, you know, it hasn't been like that in the recent years, has it? Yeah, it's much more fun watching golf where there's a chance of a recovery, you know? Because the recovery yeah. shots are the ones that are the most exciting, the ones you make, that make the highlight reels at the end of the day. Not somebody wedging out, you know, 50 yards from a, a, an impossible lie. It's much more fun yeah. tempting them, thinking they have a chance of a recovery. And that's where the real skill is involved. So I'm looking forward to it. And from what I heard and kind of read up on the media day, Sounds quite promising, and um, you know, fingers crossed the the weather cooperates and um, you know gives them the right conditions to get the course into the and to play the way they want over the four days or close to it anyway. Yeah, yeah very true. Memorial tournament. Let's let's crack on with that. Um, Jack's tournament, as we know it, Muirfield Village Golf Club in Ohio. So we're now for the first time going to a northern United um, or US state. Um, the field this week is stacked, as it always is here. Uh, Justin Thomas, world number one. Dustin Johnson, Justin Rose, uh, and Jordan Spieth. If any of those, we were talking about this off air, but if any of those three win this week, Johnson, Rose, or Spieth, they become the new world number one. So, you know, this is the new modern age of golf, where world number one is swapping... Uh, or interchanging a lot more regularly. Uh, we've also got McElroy, Jason Day, Hideki Matsuama, Ricky Fowler, Patrick Reed, Henrik Stenson, and of course, five times Memorial winner, Tiger Woods. So, all in all, 11 of the world's top 16 ranked players are in Dublin, Ohio this week for the Memorial Tournament. Um, it's a Jack Nicklaus design. He's always played with this golf course, you know, it's his, it's his real baby. Um, it's a 7,392-yard par 72, so length around here isn't really a problem. It's a it's a it's a less than driver golf course, um, and you can see that in the winners that have um, got the job done around here recently. The likes of Jason Duffner, William McGirt, David Lingmuth. You know, it's not shouting um, 340-yard drivers of a golf ball no. to win around here. Um, the, the the actual course itself, it's a traditional par 72 with four par fives. The par threes around here always play some of the hardest par three sets of par threes on the PGA Tour. They are vicious par threes. Uh, par fives are gettable. Par fours, again, offer up a very stern challenge. Um, if you're looking for details about the course, of course, it's all on the preview that we uh, link through to uh, if you're uh, listening to this on Podbean in the description box. Um, the greens themselves were originally bent grass, but now over the years they've become bent grass with Poana as well. So um, 
Poana mixed in with bent grass. Um, pretty much primarily bent grass though. Difficulty rank of the golf course last year was 13 of 50 on the PGO Tour. The year before, when the course played particularly soft for 54 holes, the difficulty rank was 36 of 50. So again, very much um, difficulty related to the amount of wind and also the softness of the golf course that's, uh, that's, that's going to be put in front of the players this week. What do you two guys um, remember or think of this golf course when you've watched it in the past? Um, utter fear visualizing myself on that 18th tee. <laughs> it's uh, it's a beast of a finishing hole. If you're hanging on to, I don't even think a two shot lead, you sit there on that tee comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I, for me, it's. I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head with the, your brief description there. It's the, the fairways are actually quite generous, aren't they, relative yeah. to a lot of. Um, a lot of courses and it really is a second shot second shot course so if you've got your irons dialed in you know or a, a accurate iron play players can be um you know can be a real advantage and you can see that from the uh, from the winners list that you read you know you read through it's um that's really where the uh, where the key skill is and um, but then the par fives are where you need to do all your scoring so um you know, there's a combination there. Total driving, I can see that, particularly when you're attacking the par fives, um, and uh, you know, proximity to the hole with your irons has got to be a key stat, I think. Classical golf course, so tree lined again this week. Uh, we've got Kentucky bluegrass as the rough, um, so we, we're coming definitely into northern grasses over in the states. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a. It's a very interesting course in terms of its setup. As Barry said, the actual closing three holes are very, very difficult. Um, ten under, Duffner was across the par fives last year when he won here. He was two over on the threes, five under on the fours, and ten under on the fives. Uh, a year before that, when we had uh, who won the? It was McGurk, wasn't it? He was one over on the threes. They really are kind of. You've got to hang on to your hat around the par threes. Um, he was seven under on the fours and nine under on the fives. Um, it, it's, it's, it's one of those typical courses, and this is a, is a fate of Nicholas. Um, fairly easy off the tee, and it gets more difficult the closer you get to the hole. So even the way that the fairways are cut, they're wide at 275, 300 yards. As soon as you get anything over 300 towards 325, they thin down quite considerably. I think he's in a scenario with his courses where he doesn't just want someone that can bomb it and slash it as far as they can yeah. um, to then be able just to wedge it in. It's also a, a track where if you look at the key components of winners over the last eight years um, and break them down, it's a scenario here where you're looking for players, as Paul said, that have got an excellent a wedge approach game. So I'll just take the averages across the eight years. Driving distance is 41st, so you know it's not a case yeah. where you're, you're pretty much hitting it as far as possible and gouging it. For once, driving accuracy or hitting fairways around here does seem to be an important factor. 17th is uh, average position of the winner in the field. Uh, greens in regulation, 11th. Proximity to hole, 12th. Scrambling, 13th. And putting average, 16th. So actually, putting around here tends to be less important than finding the prerequisite amount of greens and also getting the ball as close as possible. 
So you had Jason Duffner last year was sixth in proximity to hole. William McGurk was fifth the year before that. Uh, Hideki Matsuama was first in that ranking, and David Lingworth was 21st in that ranking, the last four renewals. Another factor here, guys, that I find very interesting are the winning prices that we've seen here. And as we said, you always get a really stacked field here. It's always top, top quality. So you might be surprised to hear that Duffman was 66 to 1 last year, McGurk was 200 to 1, Lingworth was 500 to 1, and Matsuama back in 2014 was a 66 to 1 shot. Mm. Average that out, past four renewals, 208 to 1 the winning price. If you look at the winning price averaged out over the last eight renewals, so that takes into account the likes of Kuchar at 22s, Woods at 16s, Stricker 28s, Rose at 80s, comes out at 122 to 1, the winning odds of the, uh, of the uh, eight past champions around here. Which doesn't shock you scream. really, wouldn't it? You'd, you'd think yeah. it'd be very short. Well, it doesn't particularly screen these guys at the top of the uh, market then, does it? They're all in the kind of 12 to 14, 16 to 1 bracket. Well, if you remember last week as well, um, we were talking about... I'm just quickly getting it up on my system, the actual preview from last week. We were talking about a winning average for the Colonial of 20 to 1. Uh, yeah. And guess what? Justin Rose was twenty to one. Twenty yeah. to one, wasn't he? Yep. And then this year, uh, sorry, you, you then the week after come to this tournament, which is absolutely stacked with some of the world's best golfing talent and a lot of them in very good form. And the average price around here over the same period of time is one hundred and twenty-two to one. So yeah, it doesn't exactly scream top of the market to me. Is that making you feel better about some of your long shots there, Barry? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> hopefully. You know, we'll see if we pluck something out of the air. I do have one who's not short, but, uh, you know, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. I think if I was looking at the top of the market, and we should do, because a lot of people want to, will want opinions um, about them. Um, DJ Rose Day JT... Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, they're all sub 18 to 1. That's a big chunk so, of the market, isn't it? So the bookmakers have gone into full defensive mode. They're not really making a call on these guys. I mean, you could potentially say Spieth is value at 18 to 1 compared to the prices that we've seen recently. Ricky Fowler is at his usual spot of 20 to 1. And then we've got Tiger Woods as big as 25 to 1. Stenson at 28 to 1. You know, it's a, it's a good quality field out there. Matsuama, who's won here in the past, thirty three to one. The uh, Masters champion Reed at thirty five to one. Uh, and then you've got a rogue firm sporting bet going forty to one on Bubba Watson, but in general he's thirty three to one. Yeah. Any of those tickle your fancy, lads? It's just so hard to call between them all at the moment. It really is. Um, and, the, and the problem with that is if you're picking one of those, you're kind of committed, you're committed to it again, and you're playing them. I don't know. They're all so... The prices, are so the, pl the prices are so flat there. It makes it very difficult to pluck one ahead of the others. Um, my, strategy, my strategy this week is to ignore them. Yeah, it feels like that's the right thing to do. 
I think the only you can, the only guy I've got any interest in would be Tiger at twenty five to one, but even then I'm fifty fifty whether wow. to pull the trigger or not. I'd have more interest in Stenson based on um, his long game at the moment. Mm. You know, he's been uh, his ball striking's been phenomenal recently. His form around here is very, very poor. Not that that means a great deal, because this is one of these events as well where actual forming means pretty much nothing. It's one of those kind of events. Mm. It's the only thing with Henrik, of course, is it's uh, when's he going to putt week? Yeah, so, but yes, if, you, if you're looking at you know if you're looking at some numbers for him, par four birdie or better, he's eighth. Season to date, proximity to hold twenty eighth. But when you're looking at putting, he's down in just you know, he's, he's in just around the hundred mark in terms of putting average. So, you know, that's the way it goes with him. For me, I, I'm looking potentially a, a bit further down. I think from where I'm going to start, I think the player that does interest me the most, and if you're looking at some kind of form, some kind of trend here, you know, what makes these longer shots or these bigger prices actually win around here? It tends to be um, players that are dialed in with their irons right now. Uh, it tends to be players that are very good at, in terms of birding par fours right now. Um, it also tends to be players that have at least shown us a top 10 in one of the recent rounds. When I say recent rounds, I'm looking for top 10s. Uh, a day top 10 if you like so across 1, 2, 3 or 4 in terms of round numbers someone that's shot something very strong like I don't know best 6 or 7 in the field for that particular day you're looking for people that have done that either at the players at the Byron Nelson or at Colonial and ideally you want some guys I don't think it's the kind of course that you turn to where you're struggling to hit greens and all of a sudden the greens come to you because there's something in there about Duffner. He was hitting tons of greens when he arrived here last year. As was William McGirt. Um, even David Lingmuth had been 32nd in the field for GIR the week before he won at 500 to 1. There's something in there definitely about proximity to hold because, you know, if, if you're looking for a stat that links all of the last uh, five winners, they all had some decent proximity to hold either the season they won or the season before they won. So at least you could see that they are decent approach players with their irons and with their longer clubs. Um, so that's the kind of route. And there's also a link in here to guys that have um, played, re, you know, played to a decent standard, and that doesn't necessarily come through in their results. So if you look at Duffner last year, he was missed. He missed the cut at Colonial. I was on him that particular week, as you, I'm sure you guys were. <laughs> about to know that I was about to say but the, before that he was 12th at TPC Four Seasons but that kind of undersells what he did because he was 6 after 54 holes you then look at someone like David or William McGirt 47th Colonial 43rd at the players he had a really good round at the players uh, I think in round 2 he shot a 65 which was 3rd best in field uh, at Quail he'd been 16th after 36 holes so there was something in that he also had four top ten finishes under the radar that season. So he'd been playing some nice golf, and then he just hit some bent power greens that he really liked, and he, you know, hey presto. And then you could even go down to the likes of Hideki Matsuama. The year he won, he was first after 54 holes at Colonial, as was Matt Kuchar the year he won 
back in 20, what would that have been, 2013. He was first at Colonial after 54 holes. So there are various angles in, and just taking that on board, and a guy that's got a very strong record around here seems to be understanding how to play the golf course better and better and better over time. Um, he's played a President's Cup here in the past. He's finding lots of greens and lots of fairways here, which is, a you know, as we've been discussing, that's a really key thing to do around here. And I'm already seeing the price offered on him being nibbled away is Mark Leishman, who we know was played very, very well two weeks ago at the Byron Nelson. Uh, he's still available out there at anything up to 35 to 1, which... You know, that basically places him something like 12th, 13th favourite, which we've got a bit of history with Leishman as well. Remember last season when he won at the BMW? He was the 54-hole leader at Boston the week before, threw that victory away. Although I wouldn't say he threw the victory away against Aaron Wise. Aaron Wise was just absolutely unbelievable. But then he came out the next appearance at the BMW Championship and absolutely wiped the floor with them. So... There's something in Leishman that he does carry form forward. So, of the shorter prices, I think Leishman's one that's probably going to find my preview when it's released tomorrow morning. Any others? Any names at bigger prices that you guys fancy? Uh, Uline has me interested. Yeah. He's available around 100 to 1 and up to 125 in places. Uh -huh. um, Charles Schwartzel showed some good form recently. Yeah, he's in around the fifties mark. Kind of interesting. Eight, uh, fourth for greens in regulation at the players. Um, yeah, so th those are a couple that have kind of um, jumped out at me so far. I do like the Leishman shout. Um, he's been playing well, Leishman, yeah. hasn't he? You know, he's. he's for, for a prolonged period of time as well. It's not as if it's just a one-off. He's been knocking on the door for... I'll just throw this one at you as so. well, you know, just for you guys, just for listeners. Duffner, he hadn't won for 17 months before winning here. McGurt hadn't won anything since the Hooters tour in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. David Lingmuth, he hadn't won for almost three years, and that was a web.com event at TPC Potomac. So he won his first ever PGA Tour event here, as David Lingmuth, uh, as William McGurr did. Matsuama, he broke his maiden here. He hadn't won for six months, and that, that had been uh, November in Japan. Matt Kuchar won the world match play three months before winning here at 22 to 1. Uh, and you've also got Tiger Woods. He won here, you know, 2012. He was in his pomp, wasn't he? He'd won at Bay Hill, not done a lot after that, came here, wiped the floor with him. Um, saying that, it was a particularly tough week. I think he beat Rory Sabatini that week by one shot at eight under. It was very, very windy, that tournament. Um, and then you could go back to, like, Steve Stricker. He had one for two a year. Um, Justin Rose, he broke his PGA Tour maiden here. He had one for three years. You know... Apart from Tiger Woods, it isn't shouting someone that's already got the job done this season. You know? so And that, again, plays to Leishman, doesn't it? Because we know that he hasn't won an event since Boston last year. But we know also that he's got three or four top top, uh, top five finishes on the PGA Tour this season. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's due a win, isn't he? Yeah, he's been knocking on the door. I think he's due a win. 
Yeah, and, and the fact that there's so many, so such a strong field out there, you're actually getting a half decent price on them because it's not so long ago he was kind of virtually half that price, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, for me, I've, I've only backed one player so far today. And... I'm not Zach Johnson. <laughs> I tell you, I'm gonna, I'm, he can f off, Zach Johnson. He done my head in the last two weeks. That's my uh, comment on Zach. He'll win. Yeah, he's off my Christmas card list at the moment, Zach. Yeah. Oh, no, Zach I, I, I think I was, I was, I was equally, um, was equally deep in with Zach last week as you were. Oh, mate, I saw he was two under after two, and I'm thinking to myself, here we go, ten under. <laughs> he eagled the first, first round lead. Oh, he eagled the first. We're we're on the tra- we're on the train here, boys. Next time I looked, one under after eight, and I'm starting to think. Mm, no. Oh, talking next, about next time I looked, fucking two over. Talking about first round lead last week. I, you know that you know. I put the um, I, pre- I prepare the first round leader stats for both events on a Wednesday, and I put them up with a, a thread on our Facebook group each week. And um, people always ask me off back, so um, I'd uh, I'd backed uh, Charlie Hoffman first round leader, mm-hmm. and of course he's sitting there seven under in the arch, and the only person who can reasonably catch him is Kevin Nar. Yeah, and you just know he's going to do it because he's that kind of he's that kind of bloke, isn't he? So he's sitting there, and you know, listeners will will have seen it, I'm sure. But he's sitting there. He's got to seven under. He's on the 18th hole. He's on his final hole, and uh, he's banged it in the trees. He's played some kind of miracle shot. Got a drop 30 yards from the pin, and, uh, and and buries the chip. And you're like, well, that's you know, I've gone from almost an auto, you know, win to uh, to an each way position. And uh, in in one single shot, effectively. And Who's this player then, Paul? Who who have you backed? Um, one of the things you just mentioned um, does resonate with me when I look at some of these long shots, and that's having one of these kind of standout rounds at various points um, in the last few weeks. And uh, one guy who had a standout round earlier in the season at uh, at Torrey Pines, I think it was. Um, First round, and then and he kind of dropped uh, dropped away after that. And then on his next start, he went and won at uh, Pebble Beach. He's uh, Ted Potter Jr. Mm, yeah. Now Ted Potter, yeah, I, I, I like Potter this week actually. I think yeah, he's now, a good week. I I think game wise, I think he fits quite nicely. What really got me with Potter is um, the third round last on uh, on Saturday just gone, uh, where he shot sixty three and he he sighed his way through the sighed his way through the field. Um, I think he was in, I forget, like top 10, ninth, 10, something like that after the third round. So he'd, he'd gone from a position of obscurity to one where he could have rewarded his each way backers. And then he just trod water on the final day, 73, I think he got after that. But um, but yes, if that kind of little spark of form that you've seen there can be carried through to this week, then um, I think you can get a, you know, you, you could get a decent return on him each way. And, you know, he's capable of winning. We've seen he's capable of winning. Um, I got a thousand on him on the exchange earlier, which I thought I just couldn't couldn't not take. But uh, but generally, is around about two fifty. I think you might get two hundred and seventy five each way. He's not dining out on the victory, is he? He's actually no. been he's been chipping in some decent results since that Pebble Beach win. Yeah, he's got four cuts on the trot he's made, and uh, as I say, you know, he's, he's shown some shown some decent form in the last last few days to suggest he could go and take it forward as well. I'll probably have a nibble on him first round leader as well, given that uh, you know he has thrown in a nice. He was he was ninth at the end of Saturday with that sixty three, mm. finished forty second. But yeah, forty second, forty first, 
27th, 16th in his last four outings. So he's still accumulating some, some decent um, FedEx Cup points and some decent money. Yep. He's certainly, he's certainly not dining out in that victory, is he? No, no, no. And I, I, I say... I... I'll tell you one that jumped out to me, and I think I'm going to have to take a first-round leader bet this week. And and it's the guy that you mentioned um, a couple of minutes ago. It's Charlie Hoffman. Mm. I'm seeing him, and I might even have a little dabble, you know, just in the outright market. I know that that's playing with fire, and it's probably the most stupid thing I've ever done. But you get the feeling with Hoffman, he's getting quite close. Because he, yeah. he fired in that 60... What was it last week in that first round? He, he, he fired in 63, didn't he? 63. So, yeah, 63. And if you look at his record, we know that he plays well on classical golf courses. Yeah? You know, his record at Augusta is exceptional for a player of his talent. Yeah. And he's also got a great record at somewhere like PGA West, which features Nicholas Golf Courses in that rotor. He's also got a very good record, and there seems to be a really strong co- correlation between here and Glen Abbey, where they play the RBC Canadian Open quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. He was second there last year, Hoffman. And I should have said this at the top, but I forgot. They reckon that it's going to be barreling down with rain pretty much for a big chunk of Pro-Am Wednesday and across Thursday as well. Yeah, yeah. So I would not be surprised if Thursday actually has quite a few thunderstorm boomer interruptions. Mm-hmm. And we know what Charlie loves, don't we? And he got oh. it this week at Colonial. Very nice, soft, receptive greens. Yeah, he does like it soft, doesn't he, Charlie? Yeah, I just, I just think Hoffman as a first-round leader punt is very, very attractive. I've seen him. I mean, it's early days. 125 to 1 first-round leader. Mm. That's he's also he's a bit he's a bit Kevin Na like, isn't it? You just think that you can string a couple of decent FRLs together when he's found a bit a bit little bit of game. Oh, he's an FRL machine. Barry and I were chatting because you were away back in the last week. We were chatting about the, um, the these auto back players for first round leader and Hoffman's one, and uh, and Barry was talking about uh, Barn Rush. Barn Rush, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did he lead at the fir- at the end of the first day? At, um, he, as, as it happened, he, he he threw it away. I think he went bogey double or double bogey, something like that, yeah. um, for the last few holes, didn't he? But um, at one point, he was he was clear um, in the lead after the first round. Of, you know, with a few holes to play, which you'd have expected him to convert at that point, wouldn't you? I could definitely see. Um, I could see him getting somewhere on first round leader. There's, yeah. a few, there's, a, there's a couple of names that do tempt me from a golf course perspective and also from a stats perspective. I know you two won't like either of them, but I think Emiliano Grio could be a decent shot. I might become an Grio truther this week because he's playing some <laughs> exceptional golf. The other one whose whose form is a bit more under the radar, but if we if we're talking about flashing decent scores, um. He shot a 67 in round two last week, although, you know, he, he fell away at Colonial. He also shot a 67 in round two at the Players, which was good enough on that day for fourth. We know that he's finished second at Bay Hill this season, fourth at Phoenix. Um, he played really well around Harbour Town. Uh, Quail Hollow, he was in the top four as well, another long classical golf course. Bryson DeChambeau. 
I thought you might mention him actually, Deshambo this week because I know you like him, Barry. But I'm seeing Deshambo anything up to sixty to one, and again. With a guy that's in some decent nick right now, and he's got that under-the-radar form that might be something we want to be looking at based upon past history here, I don't think that that price is too bad for DeChambeau, who I think has got a very big win in him soon. No, you're yeah, right. I, I'm not uh, I'm not fully prepped yet. Uh, unfortunately, I had to work today, and like you guys, who are out just chilling out, <laughs> do, reading up on your stats on <laughs> your bank holiday. But do you know what? As you mentioned it, it makes... To me, that makes more sense than Schwartzel because Schwartzel's filled with nothing but despair and dread for me. Um, and I'd probably prefer to back to Shambo than him at, the, at around those odds. So that might. Uh... Well, you listen, listen to this. He's 40th for proximity to hole. And actually, I'll throw this at you as well. All of this rubbish that I dig out is unbelievable. And I still can't pick a bloody winner to save my life. But all this rubbish I dig out. If you look at the past four winners here, right? You'll like this one, boys. This this is this is a quality statistic, right? Um, Duffner was twenty fifth in scoring average on the PGO two of the week. He won this, you know, on the rolling stat. Yeah. William McGirt was twenty seven, twenty second for scoring average. Forget about um, Lingworth. He was a five hundred to one shot. He was hundred eleventh. But the year before that, thirteenth Hideki Matsuama. Yeah. So, you know, these are guys that even though they're not showing the best form in the face form, they're clearly playing some really nice quality golf. And if I just go through the current scoring averages, uh, taking away all the top lads, you know, all the guys that we're seeing at 12 and 14 to 1, I'm seeing Tiger Woods 13th in scoring average, Chesson Hadley 14th, Emiliano Grio 18th and improving, Ryan Moore at 19th, Luke List 20th, Bryson DeChambeau, 21st, and I'm seeing Mark Leishman at 27th. So if it's as simple as just looking at guys that have got some decent under-the-radar kind of form or just decent form, but not a silly, silly short price, you know, there's there's a lot worse bets out there than Leishman, DeChambeau, Emiliano Greer. What do you guys think, what's your view on, um, I'll take your view on Chesson Hadley. Do you think he could win a, a tournament of this calibre, or do you just think he's a little bit short still? He's been knocking on the door, hasn't he? He's, I think he's a good player. I mean, you've, you've picked up on Chesson before, haven't you? So, and course-wise, do you think that fits him? Chesson, to me, is the kind of guy that if he's hitting tons of fairways, he's 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 a lot because he went through the poor patch where he was he was really muck spreading. But yeah. one of the things he's done this season, these are full field numbers: forty sixth, forty eighth, fifty first, fifty second, sixty first. That's driving accuracy over the last five appearances. So it's not top top draw, but it's very good, isn't it? It's yeah. it's kind of upper upper third of the field each and every week in his driving accuracy, which then gives him a platform to attack greens, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And we know that if you're looking in terms of greens in regulation or approach stats, anything like that, Hadley is very close to the top of, of all of them. Mm. Yeah. Well, sure. I, just, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if Chesson, has he really, really gone deep in the world this season against some of the best players in the world. You know what I mean? He always seems to get top 20s, top 15s, but I don't really recall him being there in the heat of Sunday battle 
No, he's got... There's another one. Go on. Sorry, go for it, Paul. I was going to say, you're right, he's got seven consecutive top 20s. Here's another one that you can pick up first-round leader because if you look at the um, his last six starts, he's finished in the top two on three of those six starts. Yeah, so yeah. he's been starting quickly. He's just not been finishing it off. So he's throwing, he's throwing some good low rounds in there. He's just not quite getting the job done. But if um, he keeps but, doing that, if he keeps doing that, he'll eventually learn. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. He's a, he's a quality player. Don't mm. get me wrong. Yeah, as you said, Paul, he was joint leader at the Players Championship after round one. Shot sixty six. Yeah. And then so he falls he's... away. He falls away. But then he. He fires a decent round at the end, and he he, he fired a uh, sixty-seven in the in the fifth, in the fourth round when the pressure was off. You know, backdoor backdoor top ten, top twelve finish. Mm. But yeah, I mean, if there was a bet there for Hadley, you're not going to be rich off it. But a top twenty finish this week would be the uh, the trick, given that he's done that on each of his last seven starts and um, without fail. Mm. But then you, so that's where I, I, that's yeah. what, that, that's kind of where I am at the moment. It's going to be a very early morning. I'm going to have to make some decisions and actually uh, put a team out there. But um, yeah, what what's your gut feel between the two of you on Tiger Woods? Again, it's, it's difficult to call him, isn't it? It's, it's, is he capable of winning this? Of course he is. We've seen a fast improvement over the last uh, last few months. Um, but this is a world-class field. There's a lot of good players ahead of him. But we're talking about going further down the list. So we obviously feel that someone further down can contend in this. And I think Tiger is going to probably feel as comfortable here as he has done anywhere so far in his comeback. And that might help him get a little bit closer again. Um, but like as you're pointing out, his scoring average is very good. He's posed, yeah. you know, the a lot a lot of the aspects of his game look very very solid. Look, there's there's the question mark over the driving, but that's a question mark that's been there since day one with Tiger. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's very it, like at, at the moment it's extremely feasible to see him going and grabbing a win. Five time winner here. He's fifty sixth for proximity to hole, and he's in the top sixty for putting average. He's also up in the top. 40 or top 30s for strokes game putting so you know statistically he ticks a lot of boxes um, I just think that it's wide off the tee here isn't it and I don't think it, it feels to me like it's a less than driver golf course and that's the kind of course where I think he might come to come more to the uh, the head of proceedings yeah and do you know what it might spur him on even more if he, as if he needs any more uh, spurring on that he's got all of these kind of wannabe players ahead of him um, who you know he'll feel that he's, he's more than capable of beating on his day. We shall see. If, if you're looking at Poana and Bent Poana mix winners the last since 2008, Dustin Johnson's got an amazing eight PGA Tour victories. Mm. Next up, four: Jason Day, Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, and one Tiger Woods. And then you've got Rory McIlroy with three. So. Um, Woods, he's very, very comfortable on these kind of greens. Mm. That's undoubted. Mm. Right, let's uh, let's crack on with the Italian Open, Paul. I know it's a yet another new. Well, it's not a new course, but there isn't any in-your-face uh, last renewal played on this course, is there? No, it's it's moving. And 
the Italian Open's a nomadic event anyway, so they do move it about. Although we did have a period of relative consistency where it was hopping between two or three pretty uh, consistent venues. But uh, but this year we're going to Brescia um, and the Lake Garda area um, for this year's Italian Open. And as you said, it's um, it hasn't been played there since 2003 um, is the last time that the Italian Open was held there, which was won by Matthias Gronberg at... 17 under just crucified the pronunciation of his name there i apologize um so yes it was it's for all intents and purposes for the vast majority of the field it's a new track and um, the exceptions being um matteo manasero nino Batasio, who both spent their formative golfing years um on this track so they those two guys know it like the back of their hands um, they're already both being backed in considerably as punters pick up this snippet of information. Whether they're both or either of them are playing well enough to truly contend, we shall see. But um, we know that home advantage and uh, you know knowing the nuances of these individual courses can have um, a big impact on a player's game. So it'd be interesting to see how they both go, actually. Uh, but it's a decent uh, Italian... Uh, uh, open anyway in terms of the um in terms of the locals so you've got both the molinari brothers turning up um clearly francesco fresh off his win last week as well playing some great golf um he's won the italian open twice in the past as well so he's going for his own personal hat trick um it'd be interesting to see how he goes this week uh renato paratori uh Gallias, Ga- lorenzo galli and um you know a few other um of the lesser Italian players are here as well, but uh, I suspect a lot of the betting will be around Manasaro, Manasaro and Batasio, given their um, given their home links here. Um, looking at the actual market, you have got uh, Francesco Molinari in at the favourite at ten to one. Um, you got the likes of uh, Alex Noren, Tommy Fleetwood around eleven and twelve to one, and you also got uh, Fitzpatrick uh, in Polter, Cabrera Bello is being backed in quite considerably around about the twenty to one mark. Um, defending champion Tyrrell Hatton 33s, um, but you'll note from that. I mean, this is a Rolex event. It's the second one of the se- uh, second one of the season. There's not really that kind of headline name. We had Rory last week, and you know, in the past for these events, you'd have had a Rose or a Stenson or a Sergio or you know a Rory um, or a Ram, someone someone of that stature. And um, this hasn't happened this week. Whether that's because of the um, position it's got immediately after the BMW PGA. You know, a few of the guys, you know, that I've mentioned there are playing out in the uh, in your tournament, Steve. So some of them have um, clearly chosen that over this event. So perhaps the European Tour needs to have another little look at the way this is all being scheduled if they want to get some of the top players over. But it does open the door for some of these kind of uh, just below top tier players to, uh, you know, as, as we talked about at the top of the show, the likes of Molinari. Um, you know, it's a massive opportunity for him to accumulate a lot of uh, rider cut points and uh, put himself in a great position for the uh, for the team this year. Um, looking at the track, it's um, a classical parkland style course. It's an amalgamation of two uh, two nines that um, they played the same two nines over in uh, two thousand and three. But this year, um, as as is the one of the European Tour, they've swapped the front and the back nine. They've extended some holes. They've cut one of the par fives down to a long par four. So it's going to play slightly different. The, the routing is going to be different to what they played in 2003 as well. So 
Um, if you're comparing uh, scorecards one between the other, they look markedly different until you can see that they've just kind of swapped and changed a few of the holes around. Um, 7,200 yard par 71, um, tree-lined, um, to a degree, if you look at it, it, it is tree-lined, but the trees tend to be, it, it, it's not a, a Valderrama, it's, it's not a Wentworth, they're further away from the, uh, from the uh, fairway than those kind of tracks. Um, hilly course as well. Um, the big question for me is how tough the rough's going to be. Now we know typically from the Italian Open they don't tend to be set up to be you know, brutally difficult. Um, from the rough but equally we also know that with the European Tour they can often throw you a very late curveball and um, you know it can it can be incredibly brutal rough um, that uh, can have you know, a real impact on the type of winner that's, uh, that's going to be contending Is there any or are there any players that have got regular success in Italy that are kind of jumping out at you or because it, clearly it's going to be quite tenuous here because we've got absolutely no modern, uh, you know, any course history within 15 years. So, you know, we can't relate this course to any of the current players. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult quest here, isn't it, to, to get enough information to kind of know accurately what kind of or a, sh a short list of players that you're looking for. Well, it is, and so the biggest question for me, and I've only backed one player, which I'll talk about in a second, um, so far. But for me, I want to see some of the um, tweets and some of the comments that are made by the players who have arrived today, who've seen yeah. the course for the first time, to get an idea of um, how it's set up, how the rough is, um, because for me, that's going to be the, the the real bearing on this particular the outcome of this uh, event. If you go back to two thousand and three, and I know we can only draw so much into it. The type of player that generally um, was appearing in the top five or six was generally a longer player, generally a player who hits a lot of greens in regulation. Now, right. you've got the exceptions there. You've got uh, Bonte, who's not one of the longer players who, who finished third or fourth at that back back then. Um, Simon Kahn, who's, again, another high GRR player, but not particularly long. The rest of the guys there, um, they were particularly long off the tee, they're all in the top 15 for driving distance, they all hit, hit a lot of greens in regulation. So if we can assume it's going to be similar to that, then that's the kind of player that you could potentially go for. You know, a longer player, one who's hitting greens. Um, I, I listened to an interview from Batasio earlier, where he was talking about greens in regulation being one of the key factors here. Um, but if they set the course up so that it's particularly tough from the from off the fairway, then we might find that there's a, um, you know, there's a different angle to this. So really, before I make any uh, pull the trigger with any of the other players that I'm thinking about, I need to, to see what some of the players are actually saying about it. Um, in terms of the setup, um, or in terms of the actual conditions, it's going to be pretty uh, good for golf. It's going to be around about 80 degrees Fahrenheit, light winds. Um, there's been a lot of thunderstorms and uh, electrical activity over the last month or so in the area. So um, I'm expecting to play relatively soft. And one of the key defences of this course is firm and fast greens. And I'm mm. not convinced they're going to get that because, right. again, um, coming into the Tuesday, when, Tuesday, Wednesday of this event, 
it's there's likely to be more thunder thunderstorms, more electrical activity over the next couple of days. So if they do get a fair amount of rain, again, it's just going to soften the uh, soften the greens. So. Um, I don't think that will protect it. I think the protection will likely be from off the fairway. So um, that, for me, really, is going to help you know, sway me whether I go towards the more accurate players or towards the um, the type of player that uh, can hit it a long way, get closer to the greens and just uh, kind of hack out onto the greens and make the, make the score from there. Going back to 2003, again, um, the key stat in terms of scoring was the par, par fives. So Granberg who won was fifteen under for the par fives. The the other guys, four of the other five who finished in the top six were all eleven under par for the par fives. So clearly they were absolutely critical to how to compile a score back then. Now the course has changed again, they've they've changed it to par seventy seventy one, so there's one less par five than there was before. So we're gonna see a different kind of dynamic to that to a degree, but the three remaining par fives are all gonna be scorable. Um, I suspect that those who can attack the par fives, ideally from off the fair, from, from on, on the fairway, are going to be the guys that can um, the most likely to, to succeed. I think. I mean, looking looking through, I've got a short list of a number of players, and I think if we're going to go down the accuracy route, then I I, I need to decide whether I go back in on Matthew Fitzpatrick, um, who kind of flattered to deceive last week he started off really well a couple of flat rounds um, and then finished um, with a 67 made birdie eagle in his final two holes to finish eighth when clearly I backed him top seven so um, that's that's the way that uh, golf betting goes as we know um, but I think he's not far away at all and if it is a more more of a test of accuracy, then I can see Fitz going well again this week. Um, Eric Van Ruen is another one who caught my eye last week. He finished 20th. Um, and I think there's a lot of talent with him that um, you know, we're going to see, going to be exposed to over the next um, next few years. But the one guy I have backed um, who kind of fills this um, length, high GIR, but if you combine that with the fact that he's been playing so well and um, he was fifth for uh, fifth for fairways found last week in at Wentworth. First for greens and regulation. First for putting, and is available right now at fifty to one. Um, it's I know who you're going to say. I know. I know who you're going to say. I, I, I can't I, get away. I know. I noticed this chap this morning when I was going through the Wentworth numbers, and I thought, okay. yeah. Matt Wallace, Lucas I'm Berger. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you make me go back and look at his stats again. Now, Lucas has been playing some great stuff. We've seen him over the last, I think he's got three consecutive top six finishes. Um, he Before last week, coming into Wentworth, and I dismissed him from Wentworth last week because he's played it three times, he's missed the cut three times. And for me, you know, if, you, 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 if you've had three stabs at that course and you've just not com- competed there, something doesn't quite fit your eye. Yeah, he sived his way through. He was a first-round leader or thereabouts. He was, um, I think he was the outright first-round leader. Sived his way through the field on the final day. Um, as I say, fifth for accuracy, which isn't necessarily his game. He hits it a long way. Um, but he was finding fairways, first for greens and regulation, and he topped the putting stats as well. How did That's he not win? <laughs> <laughs> it was his scrambling, Barry. It, he only made 40% of ups and, up and downs, which, um, you know, realistically, if you get that, 
closer to 60, 70, he's got to win on the week. Yeah. And unless he's made a bag full of three putts, um, you know, every other stat there is um, is absolutely spot on. So Well, we were on Lucas a few weeks ago, and he he, he just came up short, didn't he? Um, yeah. The, uh, that was in Sicily, wasn't it? Sicily, yeah. yeah. So he's got form in Sicily, clearly, yeah. you know, in terms of Italian form. He's come third at an Italian Open in the past. And if you look at the... Um, history of a lot of the players who've done well in an Italian Open. There's a lot of repeat winners here, likes of Gonzo, likes of Ian Poulter, Frankie Molinari's won it twice, um, Henny Otto's won it twice as well. I think there's um, you know there's, there's a lot of people who continue to perform well um, in Italy when they come back, and he's clearly got a bit of that when he's uh, uh, yeah. in his CV. We also know that he holds his form when he, when he won last year and we were on him at 66. That's, that's one, I think, when he won in Portugal. That was off the back of a top 10. He produced another top 10 on his start afterwards. And if you go back to 2015 when he was in that kind of the, the purple patch that first brought him to a lot of people's attention, yeah. he was, I think, he's something like four top five, top five that's finishes right. in the space. One of, of them was Hong Kong, wasn't it? Out of family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic, yeah. classical yeah. tree lined, fit for nickety little track. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, but for me, the fact that he's hitting that many fairways and his game is all about greens and regulation. So if I'm looking for a long greens and regulation player who's playing some good golf, then um, I was surprised to get 50 to 1 earlier. Um, I suspect it won't be there in the morning, but um, there's a lot of 40 to 1 around and I suspect that's probably where he'll settle down um, tomorrow. But, uh, but yeah, Lucas is the only player I've backed so far. Um, the other ones that I'm looking at, Dean Bermesta showed a bit of form last week, and um, he's, a, he's a decent price, 90 to 1 or thereabouts. Sam Horsfield, 80 to 1, is another one who caught my eye. Um, and Sebastian Grow, I, I, I think you'd pronounce it Grow rather than Gross. Sebastian Grow is another one who hits it a long way, finds a lot of grins and regulation. Um, and, uh, he was he on the top of the leaderboard at Wentworth at one point? He was second after the second day I think something like that I think he was yeah. right, behind, right behind Rory he's done it is a few he, times where he started strongly and then he's kind of just yeah. dropped away at the weekend is he the guy that was again in Sicily and they were talking about him and he and he plays brilliantly and then in the on the Sunday he just go you know he shoots 78 and you don't see him yeah but then if you look at his stats it's not exclusively that way around sometimes he has had a strong weekend and come through the field mm. so there's you know there's a bit of both there I think it I, I don't I'm not sure there's a mental block there. I think he's just hasn't quite strung the four consecutive rounds together. And in he's fact, French, when, he, he's Gallic. What do you expect? <laughs> when he's uh, he's knocking and he's capable of knocking in his 66, 65, 64s. He, I think he only needs three of those and then one kind of mm. average round and he'll put himself right in the mix. And mm. um, the other one the other bit of form with him that I quite like is the Schwani Open which he's played on again another one of these parkland courses similarish kind of length. Um, and he finished fourth there earlier this year, and that, I think that's his best start on the um, on the tour. So, um, and I think he topped the greens in regulation there that week as well. So, um, there's a lot to like with him, 150 to one. So, I suspect he'll find his way in. I, I just want to see how many other bookies um, price up first before I jump in with that. And as I said a second ago, I just want to uh, see some of the uh, comments from some of the players before I pull the trigger on um, a few of these players as well. But uh, hopefully that should be all clarified by the morning. Anything resonating with you, Barry? Um, I'm te- I'm tempted by Paul Dunn again, only because he disappointed me so much last week. 
Mm. Um, the last time he had a missed cut, he bounced back for a seventh the week after. So mm. I don't know, I don't know whether last week was just a little bit of rust coming back off a, a little break. Um, I think this will be better for him actually because I think it will be slightly wider, um, and I think he's more likely to react to that. It reminds me a bit more of the likes of um, Morocco than, than than Wentworth, for instance. Okay, There's a bit more room, bit more room of manoeuvring. Yeah, and he's a lot. Yeah, he's I longer this week than he was last week. So uh, I yeah. think uh, if that, um, somebody... anything anything up to forty five to one, we pulled up. Mm. I mean, he's been playing so well. It feels like he's due a win, but you know, um, being due a win doesn't always mean it arrives. So uh, no, and it doesn't. And, and, and a lot of players, you know, your Tio Bjorn Olsons and all these kind of guys, they never win off of good form. So you know, he, he could be one of those. You just don't. Yeah. You know that win that he got at uh, at the uh, Sky Masters or the British Masters mm. was that off of any any kind of form last year or? I can't nothing. Quite remember. N- n- nothing great. Clearly, he, he won the, um, the golf sixes, didn't he? With um, uh, I forget the chap's name. Moynihan, was exactly. Moynihan. You, know, so you, 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 you can discount one missed cut, can't you? At the end yeah. of the day, it, yeah. it's, it's yeah. certainly nothing to get upset about. No. Uh, and the other one who's kind of caught my eye was uh, Jorge Campillo. Yeah, he's playing some good stuff, isn't he? Um, so he had a weekend off to get his head together for going over to Italy for some pizza and wine and espresso for the week. <laughs> uh, fifth the week before. Um, he's had a seventh in the Italian Open before. So there's there's enough there to maybe catch my interest at 66-1. to one. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I know. He's got some good he, stuff. He, he's very consistent. You can see him, uh, you could see him getting into the places quite, uh, quite comfortably, I think. And then you've got Adrian Otegi there, who clearly won two weeks ago. He's as big as sixty-six to one as well. Yeah, yeah, is another one that kind of fits the bill. Is if he can get himself back up, um, you know, into a competitive state, you know, competitive state of mind quickly enough, then uh, he could be, uh, he could be another to contend. But for me, a lot of this is going to hinge on how it's actually set up. So, yeah, I just I need to be at that point where I can make that informed decision. I think. You've got me fascinated about what jumped out at me. Oh, Matt Wallace. It was the fact that he drove it 308 yards off the tee and he was 17th to driving accuracy. So his total drive, he was fourth for the week for driving. Mm. So third in China, 20th at Wentworth. I don't. That, that, there could be something in that. He's a quality player, isn't he, this Wallace? I don't think we really know how good he's going to be. No, I, the thing that would attract you to a player like Wallace is there's no downside for him playing here this week in terms of course experience. He's not, you know... Yeah. He's, he's still relatively inexperienced, even though he's got those victories. You know, he's still relatively inexperienced compared to a lot of the guys out there, and um, he won't have that handicap this week. It's only the, the handful of players who know this track. So, um, so yeah, he's the kind of player who could uh, he could go well. He was in one of the marquee groups, wasn't he, for the first couple of days? Which I think you know is another part of the learning curve um, yeah. for a player like that to to get their head around and uh, you know. He could well come out stronger from that. Sixth for all round at Wentworth. He was seventh for all round when he's finishing third in China. So, yeah, he's playing some strong golf, Matt Wallace. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's us done, isn't it, for the for the uh, episode? Yeah, all good, I think. All good. I, just, I was going to say, did you guys see some of those wins on our Facebook group this week? <laughs> Unreal. There, there were two... 
Double absolute monsters. There was a there, there was a double on there for Lucas Beargard and um, uh, Tway. It was over in the US. Two each way um, places, um, and that paid out. One one of the chaps there got over four thousand euros back on that. And then uh, someone picked up a treble with um, three of the uh, the kind of the second tier tournaments. Um, Broadhurst over in the uh, seniors, and then uh, the Japan tour and uh, the Challenge tour as well, and uh, I think it was a five p treble, paid um, five p treble um, at cumulative odds of over four hundred fifty thousand to one, uh, returned about twenty three k something like that. Wow. Absolute madness. Amazing. <laughs> and the, Joe, the foot Broadhurst was. Um, I read he was calling his travel agent to look for flights home on a Saturday. He, he he said he thought he was going home. After his round on Thursday, yeah, men- mentally relaxed, clearly, and uh, yeah. he, he, he sived his way through the field with a fantastic final round, didn't he? But uh, a five five euro treble, did you say? Five p, five pence, five pence, and it cut, paid out twenty four grand. I thought it was a thirty two. Yeah, I saw earlier a, a lot of a lot of zeros. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think he had um, he had a lot of, he, had, he had doubles as well for twenty p. Okay, Trebles, Do you know what I loved? Yeah. The best part about the whole story was the um, the guy was um, due to was a French air traffic control got delayed from going to France where he wouldn't have been able to put on a bet due to their restrictions and yeah, yeah. he just got bored in the hotel and decided to put on more bets and uh, boom it smashed <laughs> it. Wow! There you go, guys. If if there's some inspiration there to uh, to land a few big ones, that's uh, that's got to be it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. Cheers, Steve. We will, yeah, no problems at all. Thanks for your time. We will see you all again next week. Uh, you, you've got a really—is it this time clock tournament next week, Paul? Yeah, the shot where, clock where masters. You, shot clock masters. Yeah, I need—I need to read up um, the exact rules of uh, how it's all going to work. But well, you won't find yes. those on the European Tour website. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it's gonna, you know, it's another one of these novelty tournaments that's uh, that's gonna test the um, patience. I was trying to think of something. It won't be yeah. Ben Silverman, from what I saw over the weekend, because he he was taking about two minutes to make a putt at Colonial last week. So um, well, yeah, this is a huge consideration, isn't it? As players who can uh, who can actually take a shot quickly and uh, and move on without being penalised. Mm. So. So the shot clock masters next week for back for Paul. He's looking forward to that one hugely. And we've <laughs> got on the PJ2 of the FedEx St. Jude Classic. Right, thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week. Cheers, Enjoy guys. your golf betting. Cheers. <laughs>